0: Well, at this time, let's have all of our important people come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down. (laughs) Ow. What you got? Happy Pastor Appreciation Day. Look inside from Caden. This is for Pastor Tom. It's a big heart. Are we high-fiving? Is that what we're doing? Awesome. I love you too, buddy. Thank you. That was sweet. I have a question for you. What do you do when you're sick? Go to the doctor? To the doctor? I stay home. You stay home? Stay in bed? What else, what does God want you to do when you're sick? He wants to heal you. He wants wants you to get rest. Yep. Okay. What do you do when someone you love is sick? Stay away from them. them. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. That is exactly what I do. Is exactly the correct answer. Thank you. What were you saying, Zoe? I would help them. Oh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, I would help them. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, how might you help someone who is sick? What does God want you to do when someone you love is sick? To help them out. To help them out. To not just let them sit there and be sick. And if possible, to help them out from a distance. Yes. I don't know. You (laughs) drop off some chicken soup or something and run for your life. Um, Okay. Well, there's a woman in the Bible whose daughter was sick, so someone she loved was sick, and this is what she did. She came to Jesus and was crying and said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So what, what is she doing there? When she comes to Jesus, what is she doing? What would we call that? If you asked God for help, how would you do that? You would. Pray. You would pray, right? So if someone you love is sick, you can help them from a distance. And you can pray for them. You can cry out to God. She said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She was talking to Jesus. So God wants us to pray to him, to come to him, to cry out to him when we have a problem. How do you pray? How do you pray? Anyone? Anyone? How do we pray? (coughs) Where do you have to be in order to pray? Do you have to be in church? No. 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 Can you pray in church? Yes. Yes. Church is one of the places you can pray. You can pray at home. What about anywhere in between? You can pray pray anywhere. Yes. Yes. When When you're about to have a meal, you can pray, whether you're at home or a restaurant right? You can pray anywhere, anytime. Why can you pray anywhere, anytime? Where does God live? And everywhere, right? Wherever you are, God is there with you, and wherever you have, whenever you have a need, you can always pray to God. Hey, let's pray to God now. Do you have any needs you want me to pray for? Anybody you know or love who's sick? I go back on you want you pray that you want to go back on an airplane. Where are you going? California. Where? California. California. Okay. <coughs> All right, I'm gonna pray for you guys. Ready? You ready? Yay. Mila, are you ready? Okay, dear God, thank you that you are everywhere and that we can talk to you from anywhere, anytime. Thank you that you want us to talk to you, that you want us to call out to you when we uh, have something we need, and that you want us to talk to you when someone we love is sick and any other time. We thank you that you're always there, that you're always listening, that you love us and that you hear us. I pray your blessing over these children as they spend more time in your word and hope for kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them into a deeper understanding of how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all have a great time and hope for kids. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we thank you for this time that you have given us together to open your word, and we pray that as we do that, that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us and grow us more and more into the men and women of God that you have created us to be. Lord, we pray that um, as we are changed and grown through your word that you would help us to leave those things at the foot of your cross that we need to release to you. And to that end, we give you the relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures, or facing uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies upon your people. Lord, we lift to you those who mourn, and we pray your comfort over their hearts. We think especially this morning of the Cox family as they continue to grieve Angela's loss on today, her birthday, and we just pray that you would help all of us who have lost loved ones to... Release them into your loving hands to know that you are their creator and the lover of their souls. And so, Lord, we just pray your peace and comfort over your people who grieve. We lift up our country at every level of government elected and appointed, and we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before our leaders. We lift up our men and women in uniform, and we just pray that you would watch over and protect them. We ask, especially for those who are in harm's way, that you would bring them home safely. And Lord, we lift up those who've returned home changed as a result of their military service. And we pray that you would pour out your healing upon them, mind, body, and soul. And use us, your church, to minister that grace to their hearts and their families. And Lord, we lift up your church here at HOPE and around the world. Um, We pray that you would be with your people today as your word goes forth, that it would not return to you empty. We lift up the missionaries we support in Guatemala in Laredo, Texas, in Kamahuani, Cuba, in Havana, Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we just pray your blessing over those works of your spirit in those places. We lift up the church plants that are ongoing that we are a part of through our denomination here in Texas, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin. And we pray your blessing over those young works of your spirit. Be with us now as we open your words. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we are in the midst of a series of messages called Unveiled. And we are looking at some of the women in the Bible who have um, significant stories and interactions in the course of redemptive history, but for whatever reason, their names were not recorded on these pages. And so we, we know something of their heart, we know something of their life, we know something of the movement of God uh, upon them and within them. But we don't know their names, and what we're hoping to do is sort of enter into their experience and the way that God moved into these various um, people's hearts throughout the history of redemption to see what he's saying to us. And if you are a woman and you are listening to this series, I want you to see yourself as part of an incredible sisterhood that, that transcends time, that, that you are part of the history of this woman and all of these women and all of the women throughout God's history with his people. And if you are a man listening to this, I want you to leave these interactions with a, a deeper value and appreciation for the women that God has put in your life for the role that they play in God's family and the importance that they are to us individually and corporately and so here we are uh, where this is our first story out of the New Testament um, and I I I will say there are other unnamed women in Scripture um, but we're really, this is kind of a, we're taking this up to Thanksgiving with a little bit of a break for going to Lockhart in November and so we're just looking at a few of the total. We're not trying to cover all of the unnamed women but we're really focusing in on ones that had some significant event or interaction uh, with God and his people and today uh, we pick up a woman who is um, who meets Jesus and she is not from Israel. She's from another country and what's going on is Jesus and his followers have been mostly in his home region of Galilee, and the crowds are becoming so unmanageable that he has actually left his home country just for a break. So this is literally Jesus on vacation uh, in another in another country, just trying to get away, take a breath. The problem is that news traveled fairly fast in the ancient world and rumors had been going around that there was this holy man in Galilee who could heal people and I want you to think about like how many trillions of dollars a year we spend on health care in this world and at this point in history 2000 years ago There were no hospitals, there were really no doctors, there were no real medical treatments of, of any significance for most of the ailments that beset humanity. And in this particular case, we have a woman whose daughter is possessed by a demon, And we're going to just sort of, I'll just say this. I, I think that, I think it's reasonable to conclude or assume that evil works differently in different contexts. In history and in cultures, evil will manifest itself differently. So when I read a story like this, I try not to discount the meaning of demon possessed. I take it seriously, I believe it's real. I just believe, and you might ask, well, why doesn't this happen around here as much? And well it probably does. It's just different. I'll, I'll put it this way: if I'm an offensive coordinator on a football team, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a certain set of decisions based on the players that are on the opposing team. And when I get to the next game, I'm gonna make a different set of decisions based upon the players and skill sets of the team that I'm facing right I'm gonna change my strategy I'm gonna change my approach the plays I call to give my team the best advantage and I think evil works that way I think it changes its game plan it manifests itself differently in different time periods and different cultures and so we're just gonna take this one at face value and we're going to see this interaction, and what I want you to key in on is this woman's heart. I want you to see her. I want you to see what she's doing, what she's saying. I want you to see how she is treated initially by Jesus. This is truly disturbing on one level. And then on another level, it's brilliant. Like, he is, he is leading her toward a conclusion And he truly understands the desperation of the person in question. And so he seems to be placing these roadblocks in front of her, and she just goes crashing through every one of them on her way to the desire of her heart being manifest in this story. So here we go. We're in Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to begin in verse 21 and read through verse 28. And Jesus went away from there, that there was Galilee, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, "Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table." Then Jesus answered her, "O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire." And her daughter was healed instantly. I don't know about you, but you insult me, and you're probably not going to get me agreeing. Well, you might get me agreeing with you. It depends on what the insult is, right? And I don't think we truly appreciate the degree of insult here. There's there's three levels to it. There's There's the ignoring her. That's insulting. Then there's the ethnic insult, you know, you're not one of us and then he uses the analogy of a dog now dogs in the first century were very different from our view of dogs today today dogs are like our kids right sometimes way better I'm just kidding <laughs> just, yeah. but um, None of the young people laughed at that. I don't know what's <laughs> wrong with them. Oh, give them time. <laughs> um, and in the first century, dogs, again, were, were just no veterinary care. They're all a little wormy. Some of them are mangy. And you don't, you don't have them in your bedroom. Like this is not how that works they are outside to clean up messes to take care of, to drag dead rats away or whatever you know fight with the cats all that Um, dogs were considered garbage disposals and they were they were I remember um, when the first Gulf War broke out and uh, there were protesters in Baghdad in you know George Bush's dog. It's like, hey, you should like read up on your American culture, dude, because we love dogs. Like calling our president a dog, is that's not an insult to us. Um, but in the ancient world, that was a pretty substantial insult. And Jesus doesn't call this woman a dog. He just uses the analogy, enough of a direct analogy that I would have bristled at it had it been me right and here we are this sort of triple down of insult really and what jesus seems to be doing is just drawing her through all of these obstacles toward the one thing that matters which is the the activation of her faith He wants this woman to actually push through all the objections and get to the heart of the matter. And that's where we're going to begin, is this call for us to lay claim to what is ours in Christ. I think that we tend to stop in our view of what God has done for us, at the point of our salvation. That that's enough, and it is. Like, that I'm forgiven for something that I don't deserve to be forgiven for, that's huge. That's monumental. That's of eternal consequence. And I want to be grateful for that. But that's not where God stopped. He didn't stop just at the point of redeeming us he rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of God the father to establish for us eternal blessing eternal hope eternal life um, eternal joy and eternal healing even and we'll get to that but first and foremost we see here a woman who is, for the first time in her life, engaging her faith in the living God. And what do we see? What do we see in her? In her state of desperation, she is. She, she hears about this holy man. She knows that he has healed others. And she places all of her hope on him, and she... Lays claim to what is hers in Christ. I don't think she fully understands what's there, but she knows this is her best chance for her daughter. And she acknowledges him as her only hope, as we are to acknowledge him as our only hope. Have mercy on me, O Lord son of David. This is a fascinating line to come out of the mouth of a non-Israeli woman. That Jesus is in this other country and this woman articulates his identity as Lord, that's huge, and son of David, which is a packed Jewish um, title for the messiah so this non-jewish woman is claiming the jewish messiah as her hope for healing in her world she lays claim to this messiah she acknowledges him as her only hope and she believes that what jesus has is for her we are to believe that what is ours in Christ is actually ours, that there is life, there is healing, there is hope in him. And so we activate our faith first by laying claim to what is ours in Christ and then by expending our faith on behalf of of others you could argue that this woman is being selfish that she wants her daughter to be healed I don't see it that way if you've ever seen a mom whose kids are sick there's not a lot of selfishness there there's sacrifice there's risk to self there's um, love there's there's a lot there but it's not selfish. This woman is not chasing down Jesus for herself. She's chasing down Jesus because she loves her daughter and she knows that he is her only hope. This woman teaches us that our faith is not ultimately for us. Our faith is only real if we activate it on behalf of, others. That's where it does its best work. That's where it is most alive. Your faith should not stop at you. It should flow through you. And you see this in the heart of this mother, that she is just making herself a conduit for the power of God, that it would come to her and flow through her into another. And I think it's a beautiful expression of what faith is at its best. It's the heart of a mother. And so (coughs) we have this call to activate our faith, to, to pick it up and put it to use on behalf of another. And the next quality that I see here, and I think you saw it too, is this call to persist in our faith, so she cries out, and she is summarily ignored. Um, I don't like that, by the way. At home, that does not go over well with with this guy, right? I can take a lot of grief, but ignoring me can get me pretty quickly to the breaking point. Just gonna. Th- Anybody else like that? Is it just me? I don't think it is. Am I wrong? No. Nobody wants to just be ignored. That's just humiliating. And so that's her first obstacle. Let's look at at her actions here. She pours herself out to Christ. This is what we are to do as we persist in our faith for something, someone that is in need. We pour out our hearts to him. We cry out to him, and we kneel before him. These are her motions throughout this weird interaction. Jesus ignores her. She cries louder. The disciples are like, dude, make her go away. Typical man response, right? Just make it stop. What, you know, hey, lady, calm down. Right? That's always effective in marriage, by the way. Yes. God said so. Nowhere ever. Um, she keeps coming she has something burning within her that knows that he has the power to heal and so she just keeps coming you can ignore me you can dismiss me you can insult me i'm gonna keep coming because she's not she's she is obviously not in this for herself She's willing to take a hit for her daughter. She pours out her heart, and she pushes past what she perceives. This is such an important component of faith. So what does she perceive? She perceives, I I don't have a voice here. I am not wanted here. I am insulted here. And she keeps coming. She persists. And we are reminded that our faith is what pushes us past what we perceive, what we feel, the here and now that is before us, that there is something beyond what's right here. No matter how unpleasant this is, we are to push past what we perceive there will be times in our lives where we feel completely ignored by God. Are you listening? Did you hear me? Are you there? Are you sleeping? Where are you? How long, O oh Lord? How long? And we are to push past that perception of distance. We're to push past feeling ignored or dismissed We're to push past feeling rejected or insulted. Ultimately, persistence in faith is a function of humility. That it's not about me. It's about this desire that God has placed in my heart for another. And the truth that there is something greater than what I'm looking at that I have access to through faith. And so we persist. We activate our faith. We persist in our faith. And thirdly, we learn from this beautiful soul that we are to place our faith fully in Christ. This woman is a glowing reminder that God's love is available to anyone. And you could even see this entire interaction as Jesus setting up a lesson for his followers. That you're not, you're not the cat's meow. You might be what comes out of another part of the cat, but you're not the meow. Meow. You're just you're just you're just another soul in need of grace. You're just another soul in need of grace. You are no better than anyone else. And let me sh- let me demonstrate that to you. We're going to go to another culture that you don't respect. We're going to have an interaction with a gender that you do not respect. And you see that, like just make her go away, Lord. She's loud, right? And I'm going to teach you something that the grace of God, the power of God, the love of God is available to anyone. No matter your background, no matter your situation, the love of God is available to you, the Messiah of another culture and another time. He's alive. He's listening. He's there for you. Faith in Christ is available to anyone, and it is powerful over anything. And I think one of the mistakes we can make when we're reading a passage like this is is sort of the the simple application approach well this woman prayed for healing for her daughter from demon possession therefore if our daughters are demon-possessed we should pray for their healing right not wrong just very short-sighted and we have to keep in mind that every miracle that happens in the Bible happens for a single reason. It is to establish the credibility of the Word of God. That's the purpose of every single miracle. So when Jesus heals this woman, people realize something. Oh, he is the one. What he says is reliable. Who he is is transcendent. He is the one. He is the Messiah. He is the hope of the world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. And so we listen better when we see that he is at work. And one of the things that I love about Jesus' reply, his final reply to her, I don't like anything about his first three replies to her. Um, but his final reply, he simply says, O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. That her desires, the desires of her heart, we're in alignment with the will of God. That should always be our position in prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That what, when what we want is that which God wants, we are in our best position we are right where we're supposed to be that harmony of will that convergence of desire and the heart our desires and the heart of god that placing our faith fully in christ means aligning our desires with god's will and it means looking toward his ultimate healing the point of this passage is not that we go to God to correct demon possession in this world. The The point of this passage is that this Messiah, this Son of God, this Son of David, has power and dominion that is eternal, that is greater than anything we know in our experience. That what this whole episode points to is what Jesus will demonstrate on the cross that he will provide for us ultimate healing for our souls. That has two ends. It has a this life end and it has a next life end. And they are brought together in the person of Christ. When he was nailed to that cross, literally the living, eternal word of God was put to death. That that person from that eternal sphere was brought to earth and expired. And at the same time, (laughs) that which, which devastates us on this earth was taken and nailed to that cross and put to death forever. This, this switching of the poles for God's children that we can look up and say, not only are we forgiven, we are eternally transformed. And that transformation won't be complete in the here and now, but it does begin here. We can taste, we can feel, we can see, we can hear the echoes of this ultimate healing in our own hearts, in our own lives. And when we are at our best, we are wanting that for everyone around us. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we thank you for your word. Your Son is recorded as saying in the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is the source of eternal life, of ultimate healing, of your transcendence over what is in front of us. Lord, give us the faith to see beyond the here and now, to know that your Son, our Messiah, is the hope not only of the world, but of our hearts. Align our desires with your will. Help us to put our faith to work on behalf of those around us. Lord, fill us with your Spirit that we might be less selfish and more giving more gracious, more reflective of your love to those around us. These things we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.